David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Advent wreath is a circle with no beginning and no end. It is a symbol of endless love and faithfulness. Out of darkness, light shines, pointing us in hope to the one who came to overcome the darkness of this world and to be our light in the world to come. Let us pray. Holy God, create in us a fountain of joy. Stir in us a spirit to dance. Kindle in us the fire of gladness. Set loose in us songs of praise. For you are the one who comes with healing and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give uh, everybody a round of applause again that led us in worship so far tonight? That's amazing. That's one of the, you know, one of the things I love about this church is that everybody jumps in and everyone engages. We sent texts out this week to people, you want to be in the choir? <laughs> and eight people said yes. And they practiced here at three and came early, and it's just beautiful, you know, having these different elements of worship and, you know, being able to worship God in different contexts and having people that aren't normally on the stage up here to lead us as well. It's such a, a privilege. And so I'm really appreciative for this community that God has given and he continues to build. And it's especially evident during this Christmas season. You know, this, Christmas is a, a very familiar time, right? It happens every year. Every year, Christmas takes place and there's things that are very familiar. Now, there's some differences. Like, sometimes the weather gets cold in Miami. Sometimes. And if not, you just turn the AC down to feel like it's cold. You know, some of the other differences, maybe you spend Christmas in different places, on different years. You spend it with different people. There's a different, like, trendy gift that you want every year. Netflix now puts out a new Christmas movie every year. And sometimes it's okay most of the time, it's absolutely terrible. There's some differences, but Christmas is very, very, very familiar. And part of the reason that it's familiar is because the bedrock of Christmas is the same every single year. The story of Christmas, the event that took place 2,000 years ago that set in motion uh, this celebration that we block out and we lead up to for months, and we celebrate on Christmas Eve and then on Christmas Day, and that's the birth of Christ. And it is the same every single year. Nothing changes. Same characters, Mary and Joseph, and Jesus was born in a manger. He was placed in a manger, and there was no room in the inn, and the shepherds came, and the wise men came, and it's the same. Now, 
every year you may learn something different. You may understand the story in a different way. It may connect with you in a way that it didn't before, but the story never changes. Some of you were telling me a couple weeks ago when we talked about the shepherds that you were a little upset because you found out that the shepherds were low-life thieves, and you just thought they were nice people that cared for animals. And now you're like, whoa, you're throwing everything off. I thought the shepherds were cool, and they're cool, but they're, they're a little rough around the edges. So you learn something new, but the story is the same. And part of the problem for us, I think, during the Christmas season, during the Advent season, is that things that are familiar become boring, become uninteresting, because you've heard it over and over and over again. You kind of know, okay, during Advent, as we're leading up to Christmas, you're going to hear pretty much the same stories with some of the same applications maybe. And I know on Christmas Eve, I know what the pastor is going to say. We're going to talk about Jesus' birth and why it's wonderful and and the shepherds and and the wise men and, and the whole thing. I got it. But you see, this event is anything but familiar. In, in fact, it is extremely shocking. When you step back and you try to look at it with fresh eyes, you see how shocking this is. I need you to understand, too, how shocking this story was as it was shared in the first century because the last people that you would have expected to believe that God was born as a child, that a baby was fully God and fully man, God in the flesh, Savior incarnate would have been the Jews. It have been the last people to believe this. You think to yourself, well, that doesn't make sense because there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah and yes, but the Jewish customs believe that the Messiah was going to be a man, like a prophet, not God in the flesh, like a political figure, not Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, literally fully God and fully man. You see, pantheists believe that the God force is in everything. And so pantheists wouldn't have had a hard time believing that God was manifested in the form of a human. In fact, pantheists believe in avatars. Like, not like the movie, there's some connection there, but avatars being manifestations of the God force, that people would become avatars. They would manifest the God force in themselves. And so actually in Hinduism, you see this with Krishna. Krishna was a person, was a man who was believed to be an avatar of the God force, Vishnu. And so now Krishna is worshipped as a god. Because this man took on the force of God, but not born fully God and fully man. See, polytheists that believe in many, many gods, like the Greeks and the Romans, they wouldn't have had as hard of a time either believing that there was a a, a God that was fully God and fully man born. Because they, in fact, believed that the gods would sometimes dress up like humans. That Zeus would come down and Hermes would come down and... Dionysus would come down, and these different gods would show up dressed like humans. In fact, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, you read about a story where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are in this small town. They're performing miracles. They're preaching the gospel. They're sharing about Jesus. And people begin to believe that Paul and Barnabas, it says, were actually Zeus and Hermes that were dressed up like Paul and Barnabas. You see, polytheists and pantheists maybe would have had an easier time believing this event that God was born in the person of Jesus Christ. But the Jews, it would have been shocking. Because you see, the Jewish faith 
believes in a God who is uncreated, the uncreated creator with no beginning, author and sustainer of the universe. And so to believe from a Jewish perspective that the uncreated God became flesh in the form of a baby to a peasant couple from Nazareth would have been shocking. It would have been pretty much impossible to believe. And yet, we are here tonight because the disciples and the first Christians who were Jews believed that Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, Savior, who gave his life as a ransom for many and rose from the dead, and it changed everything. And so they wrote about this story, this story that we celebrate on Christmas about Jesus' birth, and they wanted people to understand something, that Jesus was different. He wasn't just a really good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He was literally Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, born of a virgin named Mary. And as hard as it was for them to initially believe it, they believed it because they saw Jesus for who he was. And they wanted to share it so that people knew that you are invited into God's story as unlikely and as unworthy and as far from God as you may feel, you're invited into his story because this is the heart of God as we see in Christmas, that he invites unlikely people to himself. And so they gave their lives, many of them, to share this story. It is anything but familiar. It's shocking. It changed the world. We're here 2,000 years later on this December 16th, 2018, discussing these things. And so tonight in Matthew, we're going to look at the story from the perspective of Joseph, because Matthew tells the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective, and next week we'll see the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective, because that's what the Gospel Luke focuses on. So tonight we're looking at Joseph. If you have your worship program or your Bible, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to start in verse 18. It says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So, Mary and Joseph are engaged, they're betrothed, and they have not consummated the marriage. They have not come together. They have not had sex. They're both still virgins. And as we read, and we'll see next week in Luke, what takes place as they're in this engagement process is that an angel appears to Mary, and the angel is the angel Gabriel, and tells Mary that she is going to conceive of a child. And she's really confused because she's like, what? How does that happen? I'm, I'm a virgin and I'm, I'm engaged, but we're not going to consummate the marriage until a wedding night. And the angel Gabriel explains to her that the Holy Spirit will actually place this life in her womb. And this will be Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior who, will come, who has come to save people from their sins. And so this conception is a miraculous conception. It's truly miraculous because it's something that doesn't happen. <laughs> Similar to the resurrection. People don't come back from the dead. Virgins don't conceive children. It's just how nature works. And so she's processing this and she's trying to think about this, this miraculous conception. And it's perplexing, right? You think about this, you're like, wait, wait a second. Mary was a virgin, 
who gave birth to Jesus, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's miraculous. But you see, if Jesus is in fact God, it it makes complete sense. Here's why it makes complete sense, because if Jesus is actually God in the flesh, then the idea that Jesus would be born in the same way as you and me, it, it just doesn't add up. The perfect God becoming man, born through imperfect people, doesn't connect. Because the problem is this, when you conceive a child, a, a male and a female, as we're celebrating tonight, Tommy and Kristen, and their, the new life that God has given them, they're going to raise that child and love that child and care for that child, and they're going to believe, like all parents, like I do, that my child is perfect, the best, but every parent knows their child is not perfect. It doesn't take very long to recognize that you love your child, you care for your child, but your child is imperfect because two imperfect people have made an, another imperfect being because what we create takes on our nature. And so if Jesus is not of our nature, then he can't be born of our methods. So th- that's why this makes sense. It's a miraculous con- conception. It's perplexing, but Jesus, who is not of our nature because he is, in fact, God in the flesh, cannot be born of our methods. You think to yourself, oh, okay, I see that, but why this route? Why did God take this route? I mean, you see in the Old Testament all these prophecies about the Savior being born, and it was obviously on God's mind. There's actually a passage in the Old Testament of a prophecy that was written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth that's referenced here that says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So this was God's plan the whole time. This was on God's mind. This was how it was going to happen. A virgin was going to conceive a child, and that child would be Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, God in the flesh. But why this route? Why not just like show up as a 30-year-old, just like arrive on the scene, like the polytheists believe that sometimes gods would dress up like humans. Why go through this whole process of being born and raised and nurtured for 30 years until the public ministry that we read about, which is the chunk of Jesus' life that we know, actually takes place? I think there's a few reasons. I think one of them is that we see the humility of Christ. We see the humility of of God, that though Jesus is not of our nature, he was willing to receive Joseph's and Mary's nurture. He was willing to be nurtured by Mary and Joseph. What humility our God has. Secondly, it requires faith that God is God. To believe in a miraculous conception that a virgin gave birth to a child that was born of the Holy Spirit takes faith to believe that God is actually in control of nature. He's the author and sustainer of life. And though we are incapable of going outside of the laws of nature, God is. He can implant a life in a virgin womb. In fact, he did. It takes an act of faith. I think thirdly, it also shows the heart of God. That God came to this world in the person of Jesus Christ to Mary and Joseph, a peasant couple, 
from a no-name town of Nazareth. They have no influence. They have no riches. They have nothing to offer. They don't have enough money to find a place to, to, to bargain with the innkeeper in Bethlehem so that they can actually give birth in a room. They have to go to a cave with some animals and they don't have a crib. They got a manger, which is a feeding trough. This is how Jesus comes in this way. The reason it shows the heart of God is because it reveals that God invites very unlikely people into his story. People that feel far from God, people that feel unworthy, people that feel like they have nothing to offer, people that are in, feel like they're from no-name towns. God invites these type of people into his story. We say that with the shepherds and the wise men who travel long distances. He invites all people to himself. This is the heart of God. But you see, even for all of these things, as you can imagine, Joseph really struggled with this. Imagine how that happened. Mary comes to him, and Mary says, hey, I, we're engaged, and I, uh, I'm pregnant. And don't worry. I didn't cheat on you. It's God. Holy Spirit... It's going to be named Jesus, the child, and we're going to uh, raise and nurture this child who's going to be the Savior, the Messiah, who's going to come to save people from their sins. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph is like, what? What? Look what it says here. Her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he's really struggling with this. I mean, talk about the breakdown in trust, how he's feeling, what he's processing, what he's going through emotionally. But we see something about Joseph's character here. And what we see is that Joseph is a kind man. He's a just man. He wants to do what is right. Because he says that he, he feels backed up against the wall. Like, what choice do I have? I mean, I mean how do I trust my wife? How do I go forward and, and marry her and consummate this marriage and raise a child that I don't know who the father is? And she's telling me it's from the Holy Spirit and it's the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And I have a really hard time believing in that type of miraculous conception. It says that he's resolved to divorce her quietly. Don't worry about the alarm, by the way. Nothing, nothing's happening. We're not going to burn down. I just want to let you know. It just sometimes goes off. It's the alarm going off in Joseph's head when Mary says to him that I'm pregnant. You're like, that, was, that was pretty quick right there, right? You got to give me that one. No, but he, he's processing all of this. And being a kind and a just man, he thinks to himself, what I'm going to do because I love Mary, I don't really feel like I have an option here, but I'm going to divorce her quietly. You see, divorcing her quietly, he believes would have really helped her out because to be a woman who had a child from a no-name father and to be divorced would have meant really the end of her life in many ways. And if he were to walk around the town and kind of share the story and did you know what Mary did and she's pregnant and I'm going to divorce her and all these things, it's entirely possible that she would have been stoned to death because Jewish custom and Jewish law would have given the right to stone her to death because of what was perceived. People probably wouldn't have believed in the miraculous conception. And so he does this quietly because he doesn't want to put her on blast and totally destroy her entire life, but he feels like he has no option. 
And being a kind and a just man, he's resolved to do this. But then it says something really interesting. The next verse. But as he considered these things. I'm going to stop right there. Sometimes when we read scripture, I say this a lot, you just read it so fast. Right? If you, if you spend time and you read the Bible on your own, you're like, I want to read a chapter a day. And so you read the chapter and then you close it and then you go forward. But you have to read over and read over and read over and slow down because what we read here is so simple yet so instructive. He says, but as he considered these things, meaning in the midst of all the emotional turmoil that he's feeling, all the pain that he's feeling, the breakdown in trust, the I can't believe this is happening to me. Mary is pregnant and she's telling me it's from God in a miraculous conception and she has a savior in her womb, but I just can't imagine that. And I think the only option is divorce. He says he takes time to consider. He thinks about it and he processes it. He sleeps on it. What would it look like if in a world of being triggered, we were actually people that considered. If you just took time to consider. If you said, I'm going to consider my feelings. I'm going to consider what is just. I'm going to consider what is kind. I'm going to consider what the right approach is. Instead of be impulsive and be reactive and respond out of anger. Surely he was feeling anger and frustration and all of these different things, and yet he considers. He shows careful thought. And so he says he goes to sleep, and as he goes to sleep, and Joseph's consideration is where wisdom comes. Here's what we read. After he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So as Joseph takes time to consider, he slows down. He's not impulsive. He's not reactive. He's not rash in his emotions. He processes what is kind and what is just, what is the right approach, and he sleeps on it. In his consideration is when wisdom comes. And in his consideration, wisdom comes through confirmation. This dream that he has. And he begins to see that what Mary has been telling him is in fact true. That the child was conceived miraculously. And that this is in fact Emmanuel, God with us, who has come to save people from their sins. And that he should not leave his wife. And that he should not fear. But instead, he should be resolved to stay with her. And he wakes up from the dream, and that's exactly what he does. At, at one moment, he was resolved to divorce her, and now he's resolved to stay with her. Now, you have to understand that this is not an easy decision. Not an easy decision at all. In fact, he had to have known the consequences that were going to take place in his life. Joseph knew that if he stayed with Mary, 
it was not going to be easy for them as a family. It was not going to be easy for all the future children that they would have. They were probably going to be outcasted. A lot of their family and a lot of their friends were not going, not going to want to be in relationship with them anymore. Because from a societal perspective, looking at their family, most people, especially in a Jewish culture, to believe that Mary conceived a child miraculously that is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, very few people, if any, would have believed that. So what most people would have believed is this. One, either Joseph has stayed with his wife, who while they were engaged, cheated on them, cheated on him. And for some reason, he stayed with her, and now he's raising a child of a father he doesn't know. And so they would have been banished for that. They would have been outcasted for that. Or Joseph is a man that has no self-control, and he was unwilling to follow what everybody culturally understands, that you should wait to engage in sex and consummate a marriage in a covenantal relationship, and he was unwilling to do that. And so they conceived before the wedding day. And the question being, why would he stay with her? You see, some of you are probably thinking, I thought you said that they were engaged, so how's he going to divorce her if they're not engaged? Like, just go to Mary, like, hey, here's the ring, you know? Give me the ring back, it's, it's over. But see, in Jewish custom, to be engaged was actually to be like you were married. Because it was an arranged marriage. It was a contract between two families. And there was actually a contract in the engagement. And so if you were to break up an engagement, it's ripping up a contract. It was similar to divorce. You were seen in the eyes of society as husband and wife, but you had not consummated the marriage until the wedding night. And so to see this from a society's perspective, for Joseph to stay with Mary, who has conceived this child miraculously, would have brought so many consequences to them. And yet he's resolved to stay with her. He takes her as his wife and he cares for her throughout her pregnancy and throughout her life. Because wisdom came to him in his consideration. I have to think that he probably had to apologize to Mary though. If, you, uh, if you're married, you know this. He had, to, he had to go, Joseph had to go to Mary. I am so sorry I didn't believe you the first time. I should have, she's like, I told you. She's like, yep, I had to have a dream. God had to use a dream for me to understand, but now I get it. I'm sorry, I'm going to make it up to you. And he stays with her. I love how the Bible gives us so many different angles and perspectives, right? It's the beauty of the four gospels that we see different perspectives and different angles on the same events. It's amazing. And what you see here is that God invites all types of people into his story. Different people in different ways. Everyone's invited to Jesus differently. The shepherds are just minding their own business and they're in their fields and an angel shows up and they're, they're afraid because they could never have imagined that, that God would come anywhere near them and an angel would come to them and then the angel invites them to go to Jesus and they go. The wise men and the magi are hundreds and hundreds of miles away and a star comes and they follow a star to Jesus and here Joseph is invited to Jesus through a dream to stay with Mary and to understand and to believe that the child that she is carrying is the Savior who has come for us. All unlikely people, but all invited to see Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. What an incredible promise that God is with us. Think to yourself, what does that mean? That God is, is with us. God is with me. 
You see, it's one thing to experience God, and it's another thing to be with God. Those are different things. It's one thing to experience God. It's another thing to know God. You see, one of the ways that we see this is in nature. You can experience God in nature, a God that is above us. The heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. You can climb a mountain. You can lay out and look up at the stars. You can see a sunrise or a sunset. You can ride your bike for all you cyclists over the Rickenbacker all the way to Key Biscayne and experience God in nature. You could even just walk through Brickle with a sense of being mindful of your surroundings and experience God with beautiful weather and the sun shining. But it doesn't mean you know God. It doesn't mean you're with God. You may know he's above. You may experience him in these moments and times. But you're not with him. In the same way, the law reveals not a God that is above us, but a God that is against us. See, whether or not you're, you're seeking to live your life through the Ten Commandments or the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or it's just an internal law of right and wrong that you sense. See, as human beings, we've all been given a conscience. We, we understand right and wrong. We sense if a decision is, is right or if it's wrong. We have a desire for justice. And this desire and this understanding that we all have reveals a disconnect between us and God. God and us as humans, we're different. Perfect being, imperfect being. No matter how hard we try, we're incapable of upholding the law. Even if you've crafted your own law in your mind of what you believe is right and wrong, you're incapable of upholding that. You're going to break it. We all fail in that way. And so what happens is, is oftentimes what our response is, is that our life becomes about working towards the increase of our goodness. My life is just about becoming a good person, making good decisions, getting better and better and better each day. And what happens as you work towards the increase of your goodness is you may in fact experience God in moments. When you make a good decision, when you stand up for justice, when you do something for someone else, you may experience God in that. How often do people go and serve out of a, a, a selflessness? A, they're not selfish and they're, they're casting aside all the things. And they want to go serve someone and care for someone. And in that moment, they experience something supernatural. So you can experience God when you're working towards your goodness, but it doesn't mean you're with God. It doesn't mean you know God. In fact, so much of your life, if you're just working towards being a good person, is working towards with fingers crossed that as you grow in your goodness, that one day, whatever happens after this life, when you come face to face with God, hopefully the chasm between you and God has been narrowed so you can kind of jump over it and God will let you into whatever he has prepared. So you work towards the increase of your goodness thinking, please, 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 I just hope I'm good enough waiting to actually be with God until that day, but not being with him now, settling for moments of his experience, whether through nature or through working towards the increase of your goodness. But you see, the message of Christmas is the message that God is with us. He's with you. He's here. He's present. You can know him 
face to face. You can be connected in that way. You don't have to settle for moments of experiencing him. You can know him intimately. You're invited in in that way. John MacArthur, he's an American pastor. He has this quote. He says, if we could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these would be the three words. God with us. You may think to yourself, I I understand for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and the disciples and those people that were around Jesus when he was alive, what it means to experience God with us because they experienced Jesus. They knew him. They saw him face to face, but I have a really hard time understanding how I, in 2018, experience God with me. Not just God above me, not God against me, but God actually with me. You see, it's the same way, actually. It's in Jesus, because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' life, the reason he was born, was to remove the very barrier that restricts you from God. The very barrier that restricts you from knowing him, which is sin itself. He was born to save. We read that here tonight, that Jesus was born to save us from our sins. As we remember in this Christmas season, he was born to Mary and Joseph, and and Mary conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit that this was a baby that was not of their nature, not of our nature. It was not born of our methods, and yet this child was born, Jesus. And Mary and Joseph had the privilege and the honor of nurturing Jesus until it was time for him to go into public ministry. And around his age 30 years old, he begins to go out, and, and he gathers with him 12 disciples, and he performs miracles, and he preaches forgiveness and love and the good news of the gospel that God invites unlikely people into his story through faith in him. And it begins to shake everything up. People are not okay with him. And so there's a big movement to put him to death, and it succeeds, and he's imprisoned, and he's beaten, and then he's crucified. And all of this was God's plan. It wasn't plan B. This was plan A from the beginning. Because God's heart is to invite his people into relationship with him, to know him, to be with him. And after he was crucified, he was placed in a tomb, and three days later, he comes out of that tomb. Changed the disciples' lives. Changed those first Christians' lives. Changed the world. As the good news of the gospel goes out, that it's not about working towards the increase of your goodness. It's not about finding ways to be mindful and to meditate and experience God in nature. That God is actually with you and for you and he invites you into a relationship with him to know him through the person of Jesus. By faith in Christ, you can know God. There's actually no barrier. There's no chasm. You can be with him and you can know him in intimacy. You see, Jesus was born to unlikely parents so that he might invite unlikely people to himself He isn't above us. He isn't against us. God is with us. 
Remember that perplexing question I asked at the very beginning, which is like, why would this be God's method of Jesus born as a baby? You see, one of the things that's interesting and wonderful about children when they're really, really young is that with little babies, you can hold them and they can't go anywhere. They grow up, they want to run everywhere. You can't hold them to save your life, you know. You're just chasing them around. But when they're little, you just hold them and they just want to be there. They nestle into your arms and they just sit there. They're not going anywhere. You see, Jesus was born as a baby. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' name actually comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Joshua, which means God saves. Jesus came to save, and he was born as a baby. And what does that remind us? Because he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's not going anywhere. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be close. Christmas reminds us that we're invited to hold Jesus, to cling to him, that we shouldn't be content settling for little experiences of God's presence here and there. As we watch the sunrise in nature, as we try to work to be a good person, we shouldn't settle for that. In fact, through faith in the good news of who Jesus is, that he paid for your sin on the cross, he was buried and he came forth victorious, resurrected as unlikely as that is and as hard to believe it as it is, it changed the world and Christ is in fact a resurrected king and savior. Born as a baby to remind us that he wants us to hold him, to be near to him. So my challenge to you this Christmas season is to break through whatever barrier you have and hold Jesus. Maybe it's your doubt, maybe it's your skepticism, maybe you're just beginning this journey of faith. You think that once you're going to get everything answered, then you can hold on to Christ. He's available now. You don't have to wait. You're never going to work through all your doubt. He invites you to hold him now, even in the midst of that. So break through that and come to see him because he's available to you. God invites you as you are into his story. Maybe you're here and, and you believe in Christ and who he is. You've held Jesus. You've experienced God with us. You've seen God face to face through faith. But you feel spiritually dry. You're struggling. It's a busy season with a lot of anxiety and tension. Break through that. I don't know what it means for you. Maybe it means looking at your schedule and, and prioritizing things that are important, like spending time each and every day in relationship with God through his word and through prayer. Maybe you need an accountability partner to help you with that. Maybe you need to tell yourself, I need to go to bed 30 minutes earlier so I can wake up 30 minutes earlier and, and start my day off in that way. See, the message of Christmas is a message that reminds all of us that no matter what baggage you're carrying, you're invited to Jesus. That Jesus is God with us who invites you to hold him and experience him would we be people like joseph that are considerate that take time to consider these things that we show careful thought in our faith and we cling to jesus in this season will you pray with me lord we 
brings so many things here tonight. So many things that are on our mind that are frustrating us. Lord, fears and a sense of unworthiness. Doubt. Lord, even a frustration that we're not able to stay disciplined in the way that we desire to. And so, God, oftentimes we carry guilt and shame and a sense of unworthiness. Lord, would you remind us tonight that you invite us in to relationship with you just as we are, broken and perfect, and yet you love us. This was your plan, to come to save us because you are Emmanuel. You desire to be with us, not against us, not just above us, but with us. We know that through the promise given, that by faith, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we can know you and experience your presence. We don't have to settle for moments of it, that we have full access to you at any moment because, Jesus, you have removed the barrier which is sin itself on the cross. So would we run to you this season? Will we hold you and spend time in your presence? God, give us that strength, that discipline, and that desire. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.